I thought we'd start with a quick quiz this morning. That's all right. Um, well, um, <coughs> you don't know what kind of quiz it is yet. Um, what kind of lighting did Noah put on the ark? Floodlights. Very good. Very good. Okay, next question then. Um, which biblical lady um, was very good with money? That was Pharaoh's daughter. She went to the banks of the Nile and took out a profit. Okay. <laughs> um, next question. Which biblical lady had a bit of a weight problem? Uh, I'll give you a clue. It's a New Testament lady. She had a bit of a weight problem. That was the, the woman of Samaria. Some area. <laughs> and finally, you'll be glad to know, um, what was the world's first ice cream company? Walls of Jericho, that's the one. Okay. Some people think it was Lions of Judah, but um, I, think it, I think it was Walls of Jericho, definitely. Okay, um, the first time I spoke here, um, I kind of shared my life story, really, um, from becoming a Christian through, in fact, earlier than that, really, through to um, that point in time. Um, I've been in this church for a couple of years now, um, and I thought it was time for an update. Um, God's been speaking to me, as you know, I've I've retired, uh, retired last year, um, and in the lead up to my retirement, I, I retired officially at the end of December last year, um, but um, I, I knew I was going to retire for, for about a year, uh, but I officially sort of said to my manager in March of, where are we now, it'd be 21, yeah, that, um, no, last year was 22, wasn't it? So in March of last year, um, I said to my manager, I, I'm intending to retire. Um, so at that point, I started to pray, uh, obviously, what God wanted me to do with my retirement, because um, it's a change of season, as we've all been hearing God speak about this morning. Um, so I prayed into that and said, um, what is it that you want me to do? And in the June, it was Father's Day of June last year, uh, 22, and Paul Manwaring was speaking, as you may recall. Um, and I was sat just over there, and he got up here to speak, and he said, before I speak, I need to give this book to this gentleman over here. And that was me. And he gave me his book on fatherhood. And um, I... My first thought was, oh, great. Um, that, that means I'm going to read about all the stuff I've done wrong as a father, um, which you know, yeah, is a typical response. Um, 
but it's been nothing like that. Um, as I've read that book and as God has spoken to me, um, he's given me loads of stuff downloaded. So that's made this morning difficult because I, I didn't want to just cover everything because I haven't got the time um, and you get all fed up. So I've picked one thing out of a lot of stuff that God has been saying. Unfortunately, everything impinges onto everything else. However, I've tried to draw out one thing that I want to talk about. And the first slide, Stuart, is what I want to mention and talk about today is identity. Um, because what God does is he speaks to our identity. He speaks to who we are. Um, we have all sorts of different ideas about what identity is, but God is very clear about our identity. He knows who we are. And God's been speaking to me about my identity, and one of the things when Paul gave me that book, that spoke to my identity. God's calling me Father. And so what that book has actually taught me about is aspects of fatherhood and how to be a father and how to express fatherhood. Um, so it's not my initial thought, as I said, was, oh, this is going to pull out all the things in me that are wrong. But God doesn't do that. God works by speaking to all the good stuff that's in you and wants to pull all of that good stuff out. So this morning, I just want to share with you what God's taught me in the last 15 months about identity. Most people don't understand or know their identity. This is a quote from Paul Weller of um, The Jam and um, several other bands. Um, he says, being a mod is like a religion. It's like my code. It gives me something to my life. I'm still a mod. I'll always be a mod. You can bury me a mod. Okay. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. So Paul Weller hasn't got a clue about identity. And he is like most people, unfortunately. Um, we don't know really what our identity is. Next slide, Stuart, please. There are lots of false identities about. What you do is not your identity. Okay? You can be a doctor or a lawyer. You can be a dustman. Whatever it is that you do is not your identity. And you see people who feel that what they do is their identity, and the minute they lose their job, that's it they collapse, they commit suicide even, they go into depression because they've lost what they think is their identity. But your job is not your identity. Your possessions are not your identity. Your house, your car, the money, all of the stuff that you think you need to accumulate in order to have some worth and some value 
they are not your identity. Your spouse, your children, all of the people in your life, they are not your identity. But you see that so often, people not knowing what their identity is, they put their identity into their children or the person they live with, etc. Your self-image is not your identity. We all have different views of ourselves. Some very fortunate people think that they're the best thing since sliced bread. Um, they're not. Um, but they don't get their identity from thinking that they are wonderful. Most of us, most people are probably like me. I have a low self-esteem. and I don't think I'm worth very much. And that's been the story of my life. And so, therefore, that's not true either, because I have value, I have qualities, I have stuff in me that is good, but I mustn't let my view of myself rob me of my identity. So whether you're a mod, or a Muslim, or a Christian, those are not your identity. Being a Christian is not your identity. Being a child of God is not your identity. Okay? Those things are wonderful. We thank God for them. They're great stuff that he's done, but you don't get your identity from the tribe that you're a part of. Okay, we've looked at what identity isn't. Let's have a look at what identity is as far as God is concerned. Identity is the essence of who you are, it's your inmost being. Psalm 139.13, and notice there are two creations here. For you created my inmost being, one, you knit me together in my mother's womb, two. The thing that came first was your identity. You created my inmost being, that's your identity. God then knit you together in your mother's womb. He gave you a shell, or something to put that identity in. When So often when I've read this verse and heard it spoken about, people talk about you being born, essentially created. They're talking about the physical bit. But there is the first bit, you created my inmost being. Your inmost being, who you are, is what God created you not to do, but to be. Being informs doing every time. When Jesus called the disciples together, it's in Matthew's Gospel, it says he called them to be with him. That was his purpose. He wanted the disciples to be with him. So our inmost being who we are is our identity. So how do we discover what that is for each of us? Because I think I've gone through most of my life not realising my true identity. And we can look to all sorts of other things that we just talked about, job, possessions and all of that kind of stuff. When we don't fully realise and understand who we are, we then have to look for 
something that we can latch onto. So you can understand why the world does it, but we need to step beyond that and find out what God is saying is our identity, who we are. So how do we discover it? Next slide, please. Identity is received from God in community, a community that doesn't have an agenda for you. Okay. Now, lots of communities that you're a part of have agendas for you. Think about um, your family. Your father was a lawyer. His father was a lawyer. His father's father was a lawyer. We've had 30 generations of lawyers in our family. What do you mean you want to be a ballet dancer? Pressure will come from all sorts of communities. Last week when we met in um, Starbucks, we had a, a brief conversation about controlling churches. Some of the most controlling places on earth, unfortunately, are churches. So you have to understand your identity, firstly, from God. But secondly, in a community, because it's not about individualism. It's not about what you think you are and what you want to be. It's about who God created you to be. So if you ask God and he tells you, then that's great. But then that will be confirmed by a community that you're a part of that loves you that will recognize in you your identity and confirm that for you. So the two have to exist, but you have together, you have to be careful though, that you're not being individual and ignoring everything that God is saying to you, wanting to go off down your own road. But you also have to be careful of the um, community that you're a part of so that you um, are not being pressurized to be something that actually God has not created you to be. So it can get difficult. However, it's possible to know who God created you to be. The reason is, next slide, we, oh, let me just, sorry, go back to that one. Um, part of the thing that, um, the, your identity does is it protects you from poor choices. Poor choices can fall in two ways. One, um, you can do all the bad stuff that robs you of your identity. But secondly, you can also have good opportunities come your way that are also not part of your identity. And so it helps you say no to the job with a million pound um, a year salary that takes you away from what it is that God created you to be. So knowing your identity keeps you on the right path, keeps you where God wants you to be, growing and developing and expressing that identity in the way um, that you should be without um, either having that knocked out of you through the poor choices 
or having lots of distraction occur because you've gone off into something that seems very good but actually is not where you're supposed to be. And the next one. This is the flow that God wants in your life. You know your identity, and when you understand your identity, then you will know your purpose. And then out of your purpose comes action. So what you do is as a result of your identity and your purpose. So you don't get your identity from what you do, the actions. You understand your identity and actions flow out of your identity, not the other way around. And that is so important. Okay, so how do we go to God and get our identity from him? Next slide, please. I said before that God speaks to the truth of who you are. Thinking of Gideon. He's threshing uh, wheat in a wine press. Back in those days, a wine press was a, a hole in the ground, effectively. And because of the um, invading armies, Gideon is scared. And so he's in a hole in the ground threshing wheat. Now, the way that they threshed wheat in those days, the purpose was you threw it in the air, the wind blew away all the chaff, all the light stuff, and the heavier wheat would drop to the floor. So it's difficult to thresh wheat in a wine press where there won't be any wind blowing. It's going to make life difficult. I thought, what a great analogy that is for our lives sometimes when we feel like we're threshing wheat in a wine press. We're trying to do what we think is the right stuff, but it's just hard work and it's not happening and it's difficult. But the angel comes to Gideon and says, mighty warrior, what? There's this scaredy cat <laughs> in a hole in the ground and the angel comes and says, mighty warrior. That's because God speaks to your identity. So however much God might be saying to you, mighty warrior, or whatever your identity is, and you go, what? God's speaking to your identity. You get to the truth of your identity, first of all, through confession. Controversial statement. I think most of the Chris Christian church doesn't understand what confession is. Um, <clears throat> confession for me is simply truth-telling. We think we've got to go to God and tell him all the stuff that we do wrong. And we don't do that because of shame. So we just pray and hope God will do something, and in his grace he does often. But if we were completely 
honest with him about what we think of ourselves, what we think of him, then God, God can work, God can do something. Because God can only work in truth. Because if you think about it, untruth doesn't even exist. It's not real. It's just in our brains. But when God, when we confess to God the truth of what we think about ourselves, God can do stuff with that. Let's face it, he did it in the first chapter of Genesis. It says the earth was formless and void or empty, depending on which version you read, but both words will do. So if you are honest with God and say, I think I'm empty, I'm frightened, I don't think I'm enough, I don't think I'm capable. When you tell God the truth of your emptiness and your formlessness, then what happens in Genesis 1? The spirit is hovering over the waters and God says, let there be light. And the light of his understanding shines into your darkness. And you go, oh yeah, I have these qualities. I have these strengths. This is my identity. This is what you call me. And that does the next thing, which the Christian church is not so clever on, repentance. We think that Confession is all about telling God all the stuff that we do wrong. Lying, getting angry, being a gossip, watching porn, drinking too much booze, whatever it is that we do that we know isn't what God wants us to do, eating too much chocolate, being on holiday. <laughs> Whatever's your thing to medicate what I'll talk about in a moment, the issue and the real problem, whatever we do, we think we have to confess all that to God. But he knows it all anyway. And then we think we have to repent from that by working ourselves up and getting all het up about not having too much to drink, not watching too much porn, not eating too much chocolate. That's not repentance. Repentance is when you confess the truth of what you think about yourself and him to God and he then shines the light of his understanding into you and you start to realise who you are. Then you get a change, you start to turn away from all of that stuff towards what God wants you to be and who he wants you to be and how he wants you to express that. So that's the natural flow and the automatic end result of that is transformation. You become a different person and it starts by telling the truth to God. Not by telling him all the stuff but by you being honest, I am scared. I get scared when I have to stand up here and talk to you. You're a scary lot. Okay. 
But I know that this is part of who God made me. This is part of my identity. So I feel the fear and do it anyway. Being brave is not not being frightened. It's just going, I'm going to do what I know God is calling me to do. So that's how you find out who you are. God reveals to you his identity that, or the identity that he gave you. It's like Romans 12, isn't it? 12.1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's that same process again. You change your mind when you get honest with God and he tells you the truth about yourself, of who you really are. That changes your mind and then you are transformed. It's all the way through scripture. Confession, repentance, transformation. Telling God the truth, hearing what he says about you and the change happens as you move towards that. Next slide, please. So, the question is, do you know who you are? It took me a while, years, to begin to think about this. And it's really only in the last 15 months that God has started to teach me about identity and I've started to understand it. Important question, have you asked? All of this stuff that I'm saying now, some of the other stuff that I'm not mentioning, but I need to remind you, it all flows in with what we've been looking at this year in terms of our relationship with God. Silence and solitude, Sabbath, fasting, all of the disciplines of the Christian life are all there to actually deal with the one problem that we all have, and that is separation. Because all the stuff that we do to fill that void that I mentioned is because there is a void in the first place. And why is there a void? Because we are not as close to God as we should be. The word sin apparently is um, an old English word, um, an old archery term, which um, they used to say if you didn't get the bullseye that you had sinned. And I've heard it often spoken about as being um, a missing the mark. And then that usually um, reinforces the stuff I said about repentance, that you've been a naughty person, you've missed the mark, and now you need to stop being a naughty person in order for God to use you. God's not like that. If you imagine there's the target and the arrow hits the target, but I miss the mark, I've sinned, what's the gap in the middle? It's a separation. And what is the root cause of all of the stuff that we manifest as sin is that separation. And we try to fill the hole, the void, the emptiness with stuff because we 
understand or feel, or probably don't understand, but feel within us that there is something missing, that we're not where we should be, that we're not, we're there in the wine press trying to thresh. Our life is a, a threshing in the wine press instead of us being out in the open and doing what we know is our identity, what it is that God has called us to do. So we have to try and reduce that separation. As we reduce that separation, we get closer to God. So through our disciplines, silence and solitude, through Sabbath, through all of the stuff that we've been talking about, as we take the time to invest ourselves into God, he will give us the answers that we're looking for. So have you asked God what your identity is? Have you asked him, when you formed me in my inmost being, what was it that you called me? Because that name we've been singing about, written on God's hand, is not just Joe Bloggs or Fred Smith or whatever your name is. It's your identity. He's got your identity written in his hand. And that's powerful. Two questions God always answers, because you know he never answers the question why. That's probably one of the most prayed prayers, why? And God never answers it. There's always one, and it's usually Deborah. But why is because you know there are three things. There's the known, there's the unknown, and there's the unknowable. And why is about the unknowable most of the time. God will never share with you what is unknowable, but he will share with you the unknown. So the two questions that he always answers is what do you want me to know and what do you want me to do? Ask God those two questions and he will tell you what it is he wants you to know. He'll tell you what your identity is. So in your silence and solitude, in your fasting, in your Sabbath, ask God those two questions. If you want to know what it is you should do, ask those two questions. God will sometimes just break in. I'm reminded of a, of a story from my own life. I was coming home one night, um, about half ten. I used to live in Lister Avenue, just off uh, Tong Street, for those of you who know it, which is um, a big, uh, wide avenue. Um, it's all uh, Victorian housing, so there's no um, garages or anything. So um, you have to park in the street, when you've got two cars like we did, and most places have two cars, um, that's difficult. So um, very often I would have a, at least a 100-yard walk from the car to my house. So I came in this night, and um, there was a space a couple of doors down on my side of the road. So I naturally reversed into it and parked. As I switched the engine off, I looked um, to my right through the um, passenger window um, and there was an empty space 
on the other side of the road. And suddenly I got a gooey feeling in my stomach and my brain said to me, which when I get the gooey feeling in my stomach and my brain says something, then I learned that that's God speaking to me. And I knew that I had to go and park on the opposite side of the road. What? Here I am, normally a hundred yards away. I'm in a space on my side of the road, just two doors down. Why do I need to go and park over there? So I ignored it. Locked the car, went to bed, came out to go to work the next morning, and my car is one of four that have been vandalised. First thing I did was look over to the other side of the road where there was now a car parked in the space that God told me to park in. Perfectly fine. It transpired that a neighbour a couple of doors down was having a dispute with somebody and so um, this person had come to get them, didn't know which car was the neighbours, so just had a go at four of them. Um, poured red paint all over the bonnet of the blue car, down into the engine well. There was yoghurt all over the windscreen, some kind of cereal put into the yoghurt. The yoghurt pot was upside down on the roof of my car. Fortunately, it was our second car at the time. It was only a little cheap runabout, but even so. Um, I could have avoided that by listening to the voice of God. That's how forensically interested God is in answering your questions. So if you say to him, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to know? He will answer those questions. Because when we're separate from God, when, we're, when we separate ourselves, it's we who move, not God. When we take ourselves off, what does God do? He follows us. He goes looking for us. He searches for us. He is like the spirit brooding over the waters. He's there. When we suddenly turn around, we go, oh, there you are, because he's literally right behind you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares about you. He wants to be forensically interested in every aspect and facet of your life. So why wouldn't he answer the question, what do you want me to do? When, what do you want me to know? Those two questions he will answer. And they will reduce the separation. I'm not 100% totally close to God. I don't fully know and understand my identity completely. I don't fully know and understand the identity of God, but I'm working at reducing the separation. And that is still a process. And it's a process that I'll always be involved in. But I want to reduce that separation. And yes, life gets in the way. Sometimes it feels like I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. But it doesn't have to be that way if we let God speak to us, to our identity, and lead us into what it is he has for us. Final slide, please, Stuart. God is inviting you into the unknown. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us, and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. There's that process again. If we are truthful with God, confess to him, 
he then leads us into repentance and we are transformed, the things that are secret belong to God. The unknown, God knows. Just we who don't know it. But when he reveals it to us, it becomes ours. And it enables us to follow all the words of this law. So instead of having to psych ourselves up to try not to eat too much chocolate, drink too much, smoke too much, it all starts to fall away as we get closer and closer to understanding our true identity and the purpose and the things that God has called us to do in this life. Why wouldn't you want to journey into the unknown with God? Is your life a bit boring? Do you feel like you're threshing wheat in a wine press? Well, change it. Just say to God, I'm in. Take me on that journey into the unknown. I'm scared. I feel ashamed for all the things that I've done wrong. But now you're confessing to God how you feel. And he will go, yeah, I know. I know you're scared, but mighty warrior, here's the job. Here's who you are. This is what I think of you. And it's always positive. It's always the stuff that he has created in you. As we sang, he reminds us of what we've always been. Right from the day you were created, you have been your identity. We need to get next to God, say, this is the truth of where I'm at. Take me on. Take me on that journey. Take me into the unknown. And then you will have a very different life to the one that you're currently experiencing. I guarantee it. Because that's what I've started to experience myself over the last 15 months. And I wish I'd got all this in my head a lot, lot sooner. But it's never too late. God loves you and he wants to take you on that journey. Don't let fear or shame or anything else rob you of that experience. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us intimately, that you love us totally, completely and utterly, because you are love. You don't do loving things, that's what we do from time to time, but you are love. And therefore, you love us completely, totally and without any hint of shame, disappointment, any of the stuff that we think you feel because that's how we feel, but you don't feel those things. 
You love us just as we are, but you love us too much to leave us where we are. You want to take us on. And Lord, I pray for myself and for everybody else here that we will say yes, yes to that journey into the unknown with you that stems out of coming to understand fully who we are in you. Amen.